Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. So another Grammy ceremony has come and gone. I think the consensus is that the show we saw was a really entertaining one with a lot of high points. There were, of course, criticisms as well. Many of them focused on what the show didn't have. But today we're going to talk about how the show came together. We're going to address some of those criticisms and a whole lot more. To do so, we have Ben Winston. A couple years ago, he took over from longtime producer Ken Ehrlich as executive producer of the Grammys. And we also have the show's executive producer and showrunner, Raj Kapoor. Here's what they had to say. So the show is done after you worked on it for months. How are you feeling about it? I feel really relieved. I think that, you know, whenever you're doing live television, there's huge risks involved. Like, I don't think the Oscar producers could ever have imagined that, you know, people would still be talking (laughs) about that element of their show when there were so many wonderful elements in their show. And so therefore, you know, I think that whenever you go into a live TV show, especially one of the big award shows like the Grammys is, you're always full of fear. I always say that that minute... That minute before you go live is almost like you're stepping off the side of a cliff and you don't know whether you're just going to fall and smack your face or you're going to fly. So I think the fact that, you know, people seem to enjoy the show and the response and the reviews have been so lovely and that we still have a career, I feel like it's great. I feel (laughs) like it's really great. My partner, James Corden, always says this really funny thing when he hosted the Grammys, which I agree with him. He said, if it goes wrong, it's the end of your career. If it goes right, you get seven really nice emails. And I think that that's about, and and luckily we got like eight or nine. So I feel good. So I feel really good. Ben, this is your second year doing the Grammys. And Raj, you've been involved with the Grammys before, as well as the Oscars and a lot of other things. What are you both learning about the particular ins and outs of this show? I, I think what I've learned is that our show can continue to evolve. And I think with Ben stepping in to two years ago, with Harvey Mason leading the Academy, it really feels like our show is going to continue to change. And I, and I think one of the things that, that Ben and I have done is we, I think we've decided that our show is never going to be the same. Like it, it's going to be based on what's happening in music, what's happening in the world, and that there's no real formula for the show anymore. Let's continue to challenge people. Every year can be completely different when we want it to be. I, I think Raj is right. I think it's changed quite a lot, the Grammys. I think people are very hung up about the Grammys. I saw a Rolling Stone headline that says, you know, we hate the fact that this is true, but the Grammys are awesome again. And I thought it was a really funny thing because people love to hate watch shows like this. And actually, people are so angry about the Grammys. And, and actually, in some cases, I think they've got a point from stuff that's gone on in the past, whether it's decisions on votes, whether it's, you know, performance they weren't happy with. But w- what I've always said since, you know, I took it over a, a couple of years ago, is that like anybody who people were annoyed about, anything that people were annoyed about, isn't there anymore. The, the board's changed, the chairman's changed, the CEO has changed, the production company's changed, the producers have changed. Like, you know, I would meet artists on this journey over the last couple of years and they'd be like, well, the Grammys have done this and the Grammys have done that and it's time for it to change. And I'm like, yeah, 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 that's why I'm sat here. That, that's what we can do, be part of the change rather than just being angry about what's gone before. And there's still a huge amount of work to do but if you sit for five minutes with the 
chairman and CEO of the Recording Academy now, from Valisha and Parnas to Harvey Mason Jr., you're just you're just going to be impressed by their vision for it. You know, whether it be getting rid of these sort of, as people call them, secret committees, which are just gone, to the way this show is run. You know, it's interesting the way we book our show, you know. It, it, it used to be about the executive producer and the showrunner just being the boss. And my feeling when I came in was that actually, you know, nobody necessarily wants to listen to my playlist. Only I want to listen to my playlist. And so it was really important mm. to me that we had a team of people, a team of producers from different backgrounds with different tastes, almost selecting and deciding what is on the show. And so that meant that, you know, when you look at our team today and uh, from, from Fatima Robinson and, and Janae Ruzan Clay and Jesse and Raj and myself and Tabitha and, you know, Patrick Menton, it's a, it's a variety of people who are constructing and making that show, all with different tastes and ideas. And I think in the last two years, that's been reflected. Um, I didn't trust myself alone to be making those sorts of decisions. And that's why the show looks more different than it ever has, I think. I think the show got some of the most positive response in some time to the Grammys, and last year did as well. I wanted to go through the creation of some of the set pieces, and there were some criticisms I wanted to hear you guys respond to. One is that it was a little short on rap, per se. I'd agree. Yeah, I'd agree. <laughs> you know, we're not gonna, we're not, you know, Nas is a legend. We were over the moon that Nas was there. All I need is one mic, one beat, one stage, one push in front of my face. On the front page, only if I had one gun, one girl, and one. We would have loved a bit more hip hop. I think it was it was a, it was tricky this year with the with, it was the, the nominees are the nominees, right? I think we've got to stick with who the nominees are. You know, I would have loved Tyler the Creator to be on the show, but sadly he was on tour, so he just couldn't be there. I, and I think that you know we we've got work to do with that community. There's no there's no question of it. But then I'd look at but then I'd also look at last year, and I'd go well. Last year we had Little Baby, we had Da Baby, we had Cardi, we had Megan, we had Roddy Rich. I think that we had an amazing mix of it. So I don't think that's about the new regime in any way because last year I think we had more hip hop as a genre on than anything yeah. else. You know, we also lacked rock this year, although that was understandable because obviously we lost the Foo Fighters, you know, near to the near to the, you know, airing of the show. So we're not always going to be um, uh, we're not always going to get the exact quota that we that we want. You know, we very nearly didn't have Latin on the show this year, which would have been terrible for us because Jay Balvin wasn't able to mm. do it and then managed to make it work. So we're always trying. It was ne it was definitely not a conscious decision to only have Nas as a hip hop performance. And I think I would just I would I would point to last year's you know, five performances to show that, that that isn't necessarily what we wanted this year. But sometimes for availability, we lost a couple of artists in the move from L.A. to Vegas because, you know, you can't necessarily just, you know, immediately be available two or three months later. So, you know, uh, shit happens. We did our best. <laughs> we did our best. Were there particular rap performances they were close to getting or really wanted that you just couldn't? Get? Yeah, I think so. But I think it's dangerous for us to speak about who who we tried or who we didn't or who pulled out because then i think it it devalues you know certain artists who were on the show maybe because you know i i want every everyone's got the prettiest wife at home right i want everyone to feel that that they were the number one choice <laughs> and literally every single person we asked said yes you know that's of course not the reality but it's definitely what i'm going to pretend to you i guess that's a fair answer let's talk about the creation of the olivia rodrigo performance which was pretty damn flawless i know we weren't perfect but i've never felt 
Well, Raj should speak more to that. Raj, you should speak to that. That was far more your doing than mine. Yeah. We have so many people involved in the show, and some artists that we started working with the week of nominations were part of that discussion. And, and so Olivia was one of them. She was one of the most nominated artists, you know, had a Best New Artist nomination, and, and her team is just really buttoned up. So that, that is from everybody at Interscope to her creative partners at Moment Factory, which we've worked with extensively, you know, in the past few years. They're, they're an agency out of Montreal um, that come very buttoned up, and then they look to our team to help implement that. And that is from everything from set construction to camera shots with our director Hamish Hamilton you know it, it was shot a little bit more like a movie from you know the the opening tuning of the of the radio um, to to her getting out of the vehicle to keeping her immersed in this world that that was created with video content and scenic and then pulling out to expose that that's on our stage it takes a lot of thought process and, and storyboarding and conversations but we're really proud when those things come together any particular moments come to mind? As far as creative breakthroughs, putting that all together, the car idea, the digital street backdrop, all of that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, all of it. I mean, ultimately, there was a, a shot that was missing that, that Hamish had put in there. And, and it, was this, it was this beautiful shot as, as her hand came off the radio. The next shot was actually her uh, looking through the, the, the side view mirror. But the, the camera actually couldn't get there on time. It's like we were in a live show and the camera wasn't in position to take that shot. So Hamish couldn't actually get to the next shot seamlessly. So he had mm. to pull that shot. So it's like all these little pieces are in motion. And when you think of how complex so many are, of our production numbers are, like some of them are very uniquely shot, you know, like the, the Jay Belvin with 64 dancers. And so much of that is not only the choreography you see on stage, but the choreography of, of state of camera direction. And, and Hamish really is one of the best live directors in the world. And when you see that we pulled off, you know, 21 live performances, plus all the award sequences, plus all the performing intros, plus all the reaction oh. shots, like it is, I, I mean, he has to be completely and utterly exhausted after a show like that because it's, it's three and a half hours of nonstop television. Was there any discussion about possibly doing good for you instead of or somehow with driver's license? I mean, ultimately, that that song was was nominated, and and you know we we really wanted it. We of course are open to discussing what song choices artists want, but that was a song that they wanted. That was the song we wanted. It, it was like a really a thirty second discussion. And what happened with the bleeping on Justin Bieber's peaches? Get my peaches out in Georgia. Get my weed from. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
I mean, Justin is, is, is on tour right now. You know, he's in venues where he doesn't have to self-censor. And, and ultimately, we have the discussions with Justin. When you see the first part of the performance, he is aware of what needs to be said. But I think as the moment evolved, it, it just was second nature to him to perform the song that he wanted with the original lyrics. And, and ultimately, I think he was swept up in the moment. I mean, Ben, I don't know if you have more information, but that's kind of how I felt because of yeah. how rehearsal had gone. Yeah, he sort of. It was. It was. It's always tricky because these artists get so used to performing. Billie Eilish as well. She had some swear words in her performance, but then I think remembered to take it out. I think he probably was just swept up in the moment and forgot to not say the word shit. I don't think there's anything more than that. He definitely was supposed to. But those CBS censors, I tell you, they are quick off the mark on their buttons. They are. Their ears are peeled, and they are. They cannot wait for a swear word to quickly um, beep it out. That's, they live for those moments. Their actual bleeping would seem perhaps a, a bit erratic in the attempts. Maybe they panicked. Well, you know what? I'm actually in the truck for the show and Raj's side of stage. And so we only, we, we're sort of directing and producing the live feed. So I never actually know if stuff has been dropped out or bleeped until afterwards because the CBS sensors are in a different truck overseeing, overseeing right. a feed 10 seconds later. So it's a really, so it's a funny, it's a funny thing because it's almost like we we are in charge of the broadcast going out and then it goes down the line to them and they are watching it and they make the overarching decision on you know anyone bearing skin and therefore they have to cut it out or or, or somebody swearing or i think doja they bleeped out when she said she went for a piss i think i i wasn't entirely sure because we're on to the next 10 seconds we, we're we're like in the present um, so we actually, I never know what's been bleeped until after the show, but you can always imagine when you, they're not going to miss it. So when he sung a, a, a swear word or whatever, I, I sort of assumed that they were going to bleep it. But I think that's what it was anyway. There was nothing more untoward. He didn't say anything. He didn't say anything terrible apart from his lyrics of his song. And I know BTS, it could not have been easy to put that performance together. You had a couple members with COVID. My understanding is that they couldn't rehearse all together until maybe the day before the show. How did that all go? How did how did that work? Well, I can speak to this one a little bit because obviously, <laughs> as Rush will know, this was this was difficulty. There was times when we were worried they weren't going to be able to be it. Jay Jay Hope had COVID and was quarantined, and he wasn't allowed to fly until Saturday, the day before the show. Jungkook was in Vegas with covid but then unless he got two negative tests he wasn't allowed to come so he got one on the like wednesday and then another one on the i think it was the friday i mean i can't remember all the days if i'm honest but 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 it was very tense with them uh so yeah there was one point that we were worried if they were down to a five i don't think they were going to be able to perform i think they were you know they they are a real tight unit those boys and i think you know jungkook as well starts the song he's probably got the most in that specific song, he's probably got the most to do. So him not being there, it wasn't like, oh, somebody else can just sing his line. I mean, he was coming down from the ceiling. He he, he was point on, on the dance routine. So I think we were very nervous they weren't going to be able to make it. But then by sort of Saturday, we realized that they'd both, everybody's test had come in negative. Everybody was cleared. And then we, we arranged, they were supposed to rehearse on the Thursday. So they rehearsed as a, like a five or a four even, I think it was on the Thursday and then we managed to find them some more time on the Saturday. I mean, the, the crazy thing about this show, as well as everything Raj said about, you know, the amount of, I mean, listen, I would say this, I'm biased. I think it's the most difficult show to produce in television 
because it's three and a half hours long. It's 19 or 20 performances. Everybody is an A-list star because they're on the Grammys. So sort of they are. Uh, plus you've got the awards and the packages. Plus everyone's got an opinion and is angry that you're doing it wrong. And so I think the stress of moving those monstrous, like incredibly huge sets and you've got seven minutes until the next set has to be ready. I mean, the go and of course you've got each performance has probably got 150 people attached to it from dancers to musicians to tech people to security to publicists. It's unbelievable. So, so with somebody like BTS, you've also only got, we only get the keys to the theatre really when all the cameras are in to rehearse on Thursday evening. So you're rehearsing a three and a half hour show from Thursday night until Saturday night, getting ready for a dress on Sunday morning. So every artist has between 45 minutes to 60 minutes on the stage. And if there's a microphone that's not working, then you're, you, you are set you are set so far back you're like oh my god we have to be out of here by 10 o'clock tonight otherwise we're going to overtime so it, it does keep you up at night a show like this it really does so with bts when you know only four of them could rehearse on the thursday you're like well how are we going to squeeze in another 45 minutes for them to rehearse on the saturday we luckily managed to because we managed to get a slightly different team to come in in the lunch break and oversee it but it, it was you know it is an up at dawn worry that show uh and so the fact that we did get BTS on the stage and they were so amazing. I mean, I have to tell you, of all the performances I felt most satisfied with, because of what BTS went through to get there and do what they did, because of the story that we knew over the past sort of few weeks, the fact that, you know, maybe on Wednesday morning they might not going to be even be on the show. I was actually so excited by that one, not because it was better than anyone else's, not in any way, but simply because I knew what those seven guys had been through to get it to that level. So I definitely punched the air in the truck when that one finished. And 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 uh, I was really delighted by that one. I do think those guys are unbelievably talented. Like I am sort of in awe of what they do each time. So yeah, so I was I was so happy that that they that they did that and it and it came together as well as it did. The fact that we had one member off to the side on the phone or whatever it was, was that a clever way to get over some of the lack of ability to rehearse? I'm not sure we're allowed to say, and I don't want the internet to come for me. So if it's all right with you, I've learned the hard way. I've learned the very hard way, Brian, that talking about BTS in, in, you know, is always, it's always landmines I'm going to step on. So why don't we move on? So that I can live, so that I can live for another day. I have no idea. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Billie Eilish, obviously not her first Grammy performance with Phineas. What I really enjoyed about this one is so many times in the Grammys, 
she's done the sort of big ballad. And some of this is just a function of her music itself changing, which gave you this opportunity. But to finally get this big, energetic performance was really exciting. What can you say about how that whole thing came together? I mean, I, I felt like Billy, but by the time she got to, to the, the top of the house, which was actually the bottom of the house, you know, I think there was so much joy there. And then you really saw that, like, you know, she, she broke her, her, you know, just her, her stance and, and how, you know, the, this wall that, that Billy, you know, has, it's just like, there was this huge breakthrough and you saw that smile and you saw that laughter with her and Phineas. And I, and I honestly felt like, there was just so much joy for her being back on the stage, performing in front of her peers. And, and to me, it was so evident, like throughout the rest of the night, you know, with, with her and Phineas staying and applauding for every performance and, and hugging people. Like, there was so much joy in that room that evening. The rain and the upside downness of the house, how, how, what were the discussions behind, that led to that? Again, it, it, it's actually months of planning to get that big of a set piece on our stage, figuring mm. out how we do water, how we do a rain effect. It, is so many people involved in, in creating a... How, how did you do the water? Because I don't think they got wet. So, the, so there was actually water in the house and then the, the actual rain was a digital effect that, that we came up with and were able to put in all our cameras um, and, and ultimately it was decided that, that Billy and, and Phineas and, and did not want to physically get wet. So like they, they, were, they didn't <laughs> want their hair to be wet because she wanted to sit and enjoy the rest of the evening without actually taking a lot of time to go back into glam. Um, so it was, it was decided they didn't want to get wet. So we, we came up with this really amazing digital effect and then we were able to implement it. As someone who has to marshal facts for a living, I'm deeply sympathetic to how these mistakes happen. But there were a bunch of people who were not happy that Draco the Ruler and Joey Jordanson, and Calvin Simon from Parliament Funkadelic, even the Astroworld victims were not mentioned in the In Memoriam segment. I don't know, is there a process fix of some sort that could possibly be implemented? Because these kind of snubs, I think, started way before your tenure. Well, firstly, I think that anybody who, who feels left out or, or, or feels almost snubbed by an In Memoriam, I think that like from the bottom of our hearts, there can only be apologies because we go into this show only ever wanting to bring joy and love to people with music and then in, in memoriam just remember people in the in the best way possible so no excuses no, no no only other than sympathy to anybody who feels that i think that the practicalities of of running a live show usually the in memoriam contains between 45 and 60 people every year um there were 60 people in that in memoriam montage and the recording academy have a committee of people and i don't know the ins and outs of it brian I, i'll have to be honest with you because it isn't it doesn't necessarily fall under us in any way the recording academy have a have a committee of mem uh, of a variety of members and they go through the hundreds of members that sadly pass away <laughs> every year um and they decide who should be honored uh in the in memoriam uh, I don't know the ins and outs process. It wouldn't be right for me to speak on it. All, all I would, all I would add is just like sympathy to anybody who feels that they they weren't mentioned. As for the astral world victims, I, I think that's a really fair point. I think you know maybe we should have done something. It, you know, it's 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 com it's tough. You know, making a show like this, and and you're always gonna be open to criticism of stuff, and 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 we hear that criticism and and we take it. And you know, I I, I 
it's it's a really difficult one for us but there is a process that doesn't involve the producers of the show um that that means that people are really considered and, and thought of as as thoughtfully as can be done tell me about the the her moment she's obviously she's one of those people complain about this i personally doesn't bother me that you know the grammys like her too much because i like her too so i i, I feel go ahead put her on as much as you want so <laughs> tell me about the tell me about the development of that moment um, I mean, long, long-term discussions with her team. She wanted guest artists this year, and we were we were more than happy to have those conversations with her. I loved having Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. You know, this again, kind of legacy artists for us. And then she wanted to rock out with Travis Barker and Lenny Kravitz. Is it fair to say? I mean, people look at her and Brandy Carlisle and say, "Oh, gee, we get them on the Grammy seemingly every year." And my rejoinder would be that they keep getting nominated for Grammys and they're also fantastic performers who come across great on television. And so therefore, why would they not book them? But how would how, how do you well, see that? Better? I mean, it's just I mean, nominees and the nominees. Firstly, I think you're talking about two of the greatest artists working at the moment. Brandy Carlisle, I'd say, probably had my favorite Grammys performance potentially of all time with the joke three years ago. I think mm. I, I will. I, rem- I remember yeah. being in the room when she sung it. You feeling nervous? Aren't you, boy, with your quiet voice and impeccable And I was just blown away from it. I think she is unbelievable. And HCR is the same. And, uh, uh, you know, our, our booking process starts with the nominees. Our, our, our booking process starts with the nominations. And so, and we go from there. And then, and so, you know, that's that's what I'd say to you. But, but I don't think I need to ever justify either of those two artists being on the show because I think they're both iconic and unbelievable and two of the most talented musicians working right now. Talk about a hard booking. Tell me about how the Zelensky moment came together. I'm not sure we're allowed to. I'm not sure we're allowed to. I've got Mm. to be honest with you. It was was a very, it was, you know, I think there was a lot of secrecy about it uh, due to safety and him being in hiding and not being able to, wanting to track where he had, emailed a video from and and so i actually don't want to i don't want to talk out of turn um i I think that what we definitely wanted when we heard john's song was was which was just so moving and so incredible was we definitely wanted to add a ukrainian presence to it so with our incredible producers and, and alex papar worked hard here too finding a poet who could be uh part of the performance for example and to to have her who who fled from Ukraine literally six or seven days ago was a really amazing moment and Micah to sing alongside her. I, I think it was important for us that we didn't Hollywoodize a Ukrainian moment and so therefore have real Ukraine musicians perform after a very powerful intro from the president. So we definitely worked hard at that. In I'd say that that took a lot of conversations over the 10 days before the show, trying to find the right people, trying to make sure that John could rehearse with them, trying to make sure that they were safe, trying to make sure that we could get the message from the president. So yeah, a lot of a lot of work went into that for sure. Uh, Raj, anything you wanted to add on that, obviously, because we were both quite involved in that whole right. process. Yeah, and, and I just, you know, finding this amazing Bandura player to the imagery that was, you know, sp- specifically selected, you know, and then some of those, those images um, you know, were directly from from the, the president's office that we actually had access to. I don't know. It was it was it was an amazingly powerful moment, and I really feel you know proud of of what was created because there was so much authenticity. I think so many people, even even on our crew, had had tears in their eyes because it was so powerful. 
So with the Foo Fighters, were you holding on for a while on the off chance they might be able to come together and find some kind of performance, or how did that work? Ultimately, we started with them. They've been such amazing partners to to CBS and and to the Grammys, and they're very close to the show. You know, they they've won so many times, and the conversations were you know had already started because they were doing a big performance on our show. So that was all set to go. It was all designed. We knew it was happening. It was going to be a really big moment. And then when that tragically unfolded, ultimately we gave them some some space. I think we all you know. Gave, sent our condolences, but we wanted to give them enough, you know, a, a little bit of time to at least think about what they wanted. We came up with some ideas, but ultimately we we wanted them to be part of the conversation and and whatever they were comfortable with, you know, we, we had thought that maybe we were going to do something more and maybe there was a performance, but ultimately everything felt too soon. And um, so so then this this video element that came together with, they, they supplied some of the footage and, and photos and we did a lot of research and there was a lot of clearance that happened. Um, and then our team with, with Janae and, and Tabitha really overseeing a, a lot of that, that work of sourcing some of that footage and those sound clips, you know, and, and putting that together. It was, it was a lot of people putting together a really meaningful video. And then when we sent, sent it to them for approval, they were, I think they were very grateful and, and somewhat overwhelmed that we were able to create something so touching in such a short amount of time that really felt right for them at that moment. And I know that, that the, the, the band and the families were all gathered together, grabbing night, watching, and, and again, the, the number of emails that came through thanking us for what we did. Again, it was, it was us working together, and that's, that's something that we want to continue to do, that it's, it's not us making decisions, but it's, it's long-term relationships of finding moments that are really appropriate when tragedies like that unfold. What would you have possibly done, it occurs to me, if the BTS thing just couldn't happen? You would have had a, a blank spot in the show. We probably would have put another award in. We probably would have put another award in. Uh, yeah, I think um, that's always the way. You said we have we have sort of like tw- uh, t- we have usually like twelve or like ten to twelve awards that you're looking at and saying you know let's hold these back from the pre-tell and then when we've actually a hundred percent locked our line up, then we will work out how many of them make it into the show. Because the other thing is we need those extra couple of awards standing by as well in case anybody was to get COVID the morning of the show. So, so, right. so, so Jeez, we yeah. can't really put another performance in because the sets are also locked and the timing of the changeover from a Lady Gaga to a John Baptiste's time down to the second of how much the stage crew need. But, um, so we can't just suddenly drop in another performance, but we can play with how many awards we have. And so that was one of the things that we looked at. All right, I'm going to let you go in a couple minutes, but besides BTS, what were the other sort of biggest high-wire acts as far as just pulling something off, whether technically or schedule-wise, in, in the live show? I mean, this isn't a glamorous one. This isn't a glamorous one. But I do, I do feel like the In Memoriam is, in, is, is... I feel like the In Memoriam is so mathematical of, like, you have, to, you have to cut to exactly the right camera at the right time, otherwise you miss the face in the background. Mm which I know sounds like not a very, but that is so nerve wracking because if, if that camera misses that frame, then that person has been on that big screen and you've missed it. And, and Haley Collett, who, who is the AD on the show, timed it out to perfection and called it live. And so we, we definitely were relieved when In Memoriam was over because like I say, if you, if you, you know, come late to a shot of Ben Platt, then you've missed the full frame of someone who's passed away. And, 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 and then you're saying, yeah, no, no, they were in the In Memoriam. You just didn't see them. So I think that like, 
I feel like doing it live like that on the back wall is a very, very tense moment. So I was definitely tense about that. I think the opening number, you're always incredibly tense over. I was delighted that Silk Sonic went so well because that is the first time that you're going live and you're checking that everyone's microphones are working and the screens are working and the lights aren't broken and you know we've all been in control rooms before or sat at a producer's table where we've had technical difficulties or you're not on air or whatever else so the fact that we'd gone on air and then finally I think the thing that I really loved I know I know you know I thought going in and out of break with performers you wouldn't usually see on the Grammys showcasing you know tropical Latin or bluegrass or gospel and and showing people playing us in and out of break and, 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 and making Vegas part of our story, I thought was a really lovely element to it. I remember watching the Grammys when it was in New York and sort of feeling like I didn't really know we were in New York because the arena had no windows. So like, apart from everybody mm. telling me, we're in New York, I had no idea that we weren't at the Staples Center. <laughs> so that really stuck with me. And so I thought, if we're going to go to Vegas, let's make sure that you see Vegas. And so whether that be opening with Trevor on the roof, whether it be that those those beautiful performances going in and out of break, or even, or even you know opening with Bruno and, and Anderson singing a Vegas themed song, I just felt like it's important to tell stories through the night. I think that the Grammys can too easily just become a gig full of just you know performance after performance, and whether it be showcasing lesser known artists or whether it be showcasing the people who work for those artists, production managers, accountants wardrobe supervisors people who maybe have been out of work for a couple of years during the pandemic and are giving them the honor of introducing our, our, our performers i feel like I, I love telling stories and and so you know last year we did it you know with beyonce breaking those records this year it was you know olivia starting off and then and then winning two as we went along silk sonic I, I, that that's where i get excited where where you can find threads within the show um, where you know you're making an entertainment show that is that grips people rather than just loads of amazing music performances, which we can do as well. And after this year, I know it's a bit soon, but what are you looking for for next year? What are some of your goals in the broadest sense for next year and for the future of the ceremonies? You talked at the beginning about change and evolution. What kind of things do you want to see continue to change and evolve for this show? Well, I mean, I can speak to that for a second. I think, I think. The Recording Academy and the producers have evolved hugely in the last two years in that it's two different companies. I mean, I don't, and, 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 I, and, I mean, and I say that with no disrespect whatsoever to anyone who used to run it. I think everyone used to do an incredible job. But we're, we're different. You know, the last two years have seen a huge change in leadership at the Academy and, and, and a huge change of, of, of leadership in, in the show. And so we're continuing to learn. We're continuing to work out what we need to do better on both sides, actually. But I feel like the relationship with the artist community from our side is something that we're that is hugely mm. important to us and seeing those artists as raj said earlier having such a great night and supporting each other it's very rare at the end of a grammy show to see every single nominee in their seats dancing to the last performance of the night it just is you know they, their cabs are usually waiting outside and they've whizzed home and they're whizzed <laughs> home and they're already at craig's or giorgio baldi's before the show's even ended and and this year, you know, you watch Brothers Osborne closing us out. And even when Brothers Osborne was still playing and we'd gone off air because the credits had finished, you could still see Phineas and Billy and Little Nas X and the Beavers and, 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 and Gaga dancing away. And I feel like that is an indication of, of the unbelievable work the Recording Academy has done, reaching out to artists and, 
and showing them change and and us as producers of looking after the talent and making sure that they feel that this is a safe space to come and and do some amazing performances and we'll continue to work really hard people will continue to work out where we've gone wrong and and we'll listen to those uh, criticisms and try and change even the better but you know, I think the Recording Academy, to a certain extent, has been almost a whipping boy. It is where, where everybody <laughs> just goes, oh, they've done this wrong, they've done that wrong. But I think that you have to start taking note of what Harvey and his team have done over there because they have been the most unbelievable partners you could possibly have. And and I think that, like, you know, people, you're, you're very kind in that you said at the beginning of this conversation, not me, that the last two years had felt like a real exciting change. And that isn't just down to us and Fullwell and our company. It's also down to the partnership that we have with the Recording Academy and how and how front-facing they are right now and how much of an incredible job they have done in the artist community and trying to change things that need to be changed. And so I think that the narrative of, oh, the Grammys, we hate the Grammys, and oh, the Recording Academy, this... I, sadly for all those people, I think that needs to change. And I think that, you know, we'll still all do the odd thing wrong. For sure, we will. But I think credit needs to go where credit needs to go. And right now, I, I think that Harvey and Valicia and the team and Panos there need to take a huge amount of credit for the way that show looked and felt. And that's our show for today. Thanks so much to Ben Winston and Raj Kapoor for joining me. Rolling Stone Music Now will be back next week. We're on Sirius XM's volume, channel 106. And we are, of course, a podcast. Download us wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Maybe leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts specifically because that's always appreciated. But as always, thanks so much for listening and we will see you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.